Our sermon text today is from John 16, starting in verse 4. I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you all the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we're just grateful to to know that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, just hours away from his arrest, moments from the, the pain of the cross and the great weight of your wrath falling upon his shoulders, was most concerned to reassure his followers and his friends that you would be with them. Lord, so often we we don't feel that. We feel alone. We feel uncared for. We feel overlooked, and we feel as though you are absent. And and sometimes you allow that to happen for our good. We recognize that. But Father, in this moment, I, I pray for everybody in this room, for everyone listening to this sermon on the internet or on a recording, and for myself that we would come to know and be convinced that in the person of your Holy Spirit, you are here today as you've promised. Father, help us to know what that means, how that convicts us, 
how that comforts us. Father, do your work in our hearts this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As I've gotten to know most of you over the last several years, it's striking to me just how many of you can trace your spiritual heritage back to a time when you participated in a Christian retreat or camp. Uh, There's something about leaving the obligations of normal life and the hustle and the bustle and the busyness and the crowds of, of everything that we do on a normal weekly routine, leaving that, taking in God's glorious creation, focusing on his character and And uh, just spending time in his word around God's people being challenged from the word of God that breaks our routine enough and, and breaks the hardness of heart that we so often experience and draws us closer to him. Many of you have a testimony about uh, an experience like that that has left you completely, permanently changed. And of course, as I've mentioned on a few occasions, I worked at a Christian camp one summer Uh, during my college years, and it was a formational experience for me as well. One of the themes that uh, during that summer we were asked to emphasize over and over again to the campers that the Lord brought our way was the reality that God is omnipresent. That is, He is present everywhere. That's a theological declaration. It's one of those, you know, $50 words or whatever that Uh, theologians throw around. But it became very personal to me that summer's the weeks passed. Uh, Something, at least that I experienced, and I think many college students experience, many high school students experience this, uh, just this frequent feeling that you are alone, that you are on your own. Uh, Many of you know that. You've experienced that uh, in a deep and personal way. And, And I very much went through that myself. And Uh, There was one week late in that summer, it was my turn to be a core counselor, C-O-R, counselor on rotation, which means we didn't have campers assigned to us. We were assigned to uh, just kind of be a backup for the other counselors. And while we waited for somebody to get sick or hurt, we had to do chores throughout the the camp. And uh, so it was my turn to be on core, counselor on rotation. And I was struggling with some specific things. And one of the other staff members at the camp was challenging me uh, on, on those things. And he challenged me to memorize the 139th Psalm. And so there I am on, on this counselor on rotation duty, and I was assigned to be security at the vending machine uh, just outside the boys' cabins, which, uh, you know, is, I, I wasn't much use, but thankfully there wasn't much going on. And so it was just me and my King James Bible, and I sat down on the folding chair in front of the vending machine, and I began to read and memorize, whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night 
shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. And as I began to read over those verses again and again and again, sitting there in my folding chair, it it struck me, I think, for the first time in in a deeper way than I had ever experienced before. God is here. God is with me. And all the other verses that we were asking the kids to memorize all summer, they began to take on a deeper significance for me as well. Like Jeremiah 23, 23, and 24. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I might not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? Or those verses from the book of Jonah where Jonah tried to flee from the presence of the Lord and he took a boat to the farthest place he knew about and even there the Lord found him. God is here. God's present with us. And I began to realize that. Is there any other truth as simultaneously terrible and wonderful as that? God is here and he sees everything we do. There are no private thoughts or deeds. We live in his presence and under his gaze he sees it all. God is here. No tears are shed alone. No struggles are solitary. All our griefs he knows, and he walks with us in all our sorrows. His presence is a terror to the world and a comfort to believers. And what we're going to find today is that this ministry of the presence of God is more specifically a ministry of God the Holy Spirit. Uh, We are... In this Christmas season, if you're just joining us for the first time today, uh, what we've been doing over the last three weeks is pondering one of the realities that we can only come to know as a result of the fact that Jesus was born into the world, this reality that God exists as one and, in another sense, three, the Trinity. The Bible's clear teaching that there is one God The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, and yet these three persons are distinct from one another. We've seen that we must be vigilant to avoid imagining God as other than He is, and we've talked about some ways we do that. We've considered some of what the Bible teaches about God the Father, then some of what the Bible teaches about God the Son, and today we're going to be teaching, uh, we're going to be pondering. what the Bible teaches about God, the Holy Spirit. What I intend to do today is to answer two questions. First, who is the Holy Spirit? And then secondly, what is his ministry? Who's the Holy Spirit and what is his ministry? So consider with me briefly in the first place, who is the Holy Spirit? The Bible obviously has a lot to say about this topic and answer to this question. If you want to read a simple summary, by the way, of of what does all the Bible teach about the identity, the person, the nature of the Holy Spirit, I would recommend the best book that you can find was written many, many years ago by a man named Basil of Caesarea. It's called On the Holy Spirit. It's old, but it's really easy to understand. It covers a lot of ground. But for our purposes this morning, there are at least three things we need to remember about the Holy Spirit. We're not going to hit every verse that talks about the Holy Spirit, but I'm just going to give you three things to think about. First of all, just very simply, He is God. He is God. 
He was present and active at creation according to Genesis 1-2. He is identified with God in places like 1 Corinthians 2. Uh, Gwen read that just a moment ago. He is named along with God the Father and God the Son in the baptismal confession in Matthew 28. We baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He is omnipresent as only God can be according to Psalm 139. He possesses the power of God, according to passages like Luke 1. It is, it's a critically important point to understand that the Holy Spirit is God. Now, there, again, is a lot more we could say in defense of that, but I hasten on to the next thing that we would say. Secondly, who is the Holy Spirit? He is a person, not a force. He is a person, not a force. So what do you mean? Well, haven't you ever found yourself thinking about the Holy Spirit as though he were some kind of impersonal force rather than a person? For example, uh, the Bible tells us that we're to walk in the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And if you're like me, maybe I'm the only one. I don't think I am. But I found myself thinking, walk in the Spirit. That's sort of like a mystical thing where you walk in this kind of cloud of God's power and it's like an impersonal force is influencing the way that I live. Instead of just thinking, walking in fellowship with a person. But we have to remember that the Holy Spirit is a person and not just an impersonal force. Uh, There's more that we could say about that. If that's something that you struggle with, that's something you probably need to remember. Maybe you don't struggle with that, and that's okay. But he's a person. It's possible to lie to the Holy Spirit according to Acts 5. You can't lie to a force. You can only lie to persons. Uh, it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. You can't grieve an impersonal force. Only a person can experience grief. The Holy Spirit makes judgments and decisions, according to Acts 15, 28. Uh, the apostles say this seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. That is, he's making a judgment, a, a value judgment, and that's something only a person can do, not a force. Uh, a force doesn't speak, but the Holy Spirit speaks, according to Acts 13, 2. A force doesn't have a will or emotions or a mind, uh, but a person does. And the Holy Spirit is a person. say, well, so what? Well, it's very important for a lot of reasons, but one of them is we're intended to have this relationship with God the Holy Spirit. And if you are thinking of him as other than he is, then it's really hard to have that relationship in in a practical way. And so we must remember the Holy Spirit is... A person. If we uh, don't remember that, then we're just paying attention to our emotions and our feelings instead of actually worshiping God. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is God. He's a person, not a force. Thirdly, he is a distinct person, not just the disembodied Jesus. He's a distinct person, not just a disembodied Jesus. You remember uh, watching the original Star Wars movies? And uh, am I the only one? You guys have seen these movies. They came out like 40 years ago. (laughs) So no spoilers. But you remember how Luke Skywalker, he's doing these adventures and he's training and he's doing all these things. And every once in a while, his mentor who had been killed in the first movie, Obi-Wan Kenobi, appears to him with this like kind of fuzzy appearance. Right? It's just a disembodied version of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I think a lot of Christians think of the Holy Spirit as that disembodied Jesus, kind of like Obi-Wan appears to Luke Skywalker. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus 
and the Holy Spirit, uh, they're not like Obi-Wan Kenobi, okay? Uh, the Holy Spirit is a distinct person, not just a disembodied Jesus. I think from our passage here in John chapter 16, Jesus makes that clear. He's saying, I'm going to send the Spirit into the world. When Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River, according to Mark chapter 1, you remember how God the Father speaks from heaven? There's Jesus being baptized, and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. There are three distinct persons. He is a distinct person. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a distinct person. Again, we could spend hours exploring these realities, but having laid down sort of a framework for how we ought to think of the Holy Spirit according to the Bible... I'm going to leave aside that first question and hasten on to the second question. What is his ministry? What is his ministry? Now, in order to answer that question, let's go back to our text that Renee read for us just a few moments ago. Consider the situation in John chapter 16. What's going on? What's the problem? Jesus is about to leave, right? I mean, he's just moments away from being arrested in the garden and then dragged before uh, the courts, and then killed. And then, of course, he's going to be raised from the dead, but he'll only be with the disciples for just a few weeks, and then he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And Jesus is talking about this reality. Like, in just a short time, the disciples are about to enter a state of affairs that is altogether different from the one in which they're living at the moment when Jesus is talking. He is about to leave. Now, if they're really serious about following him... That is going to concern them. That's, a, that's an issue that they're struggling with, that Jesus would leave, and yet he makes this stunning claim in verse 7. He says, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. It's for your good. Why? Because when Jesus goes away, he's going to send the helper. The picture behind that word is like a person who walks alongside another person to help them. Somebody who comes alongside somebody else and and, and walks through life with them. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to send the helper. Somebody who will walk alongside you as you're trying to follow me in this world. And if you study all the times, uh, I'm sorry, if you keep going through the passage, uh, it becomes clear that he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. And if you look at all the times in which the Holy Spirit's ministry is highlighted in Scripture, they all kind of have this similar theme. What is the Holy Spirit's ministry primarily? It is a ministry of presence. It's a ministry of coming alongside the people of God. It's, the, it's God present with his people. The Spirit's ministry is a ministry of presence. So when in the Old Testament the glory of God led the people of Israel through the wilderness, it was, the, it, it was God the Holy Spirit who was present with them. When God wanted to empower his people to build an, an earthly sanctuary for him, he, he gave them these skills and these talents, and it was the Holy Spirit who did that. When he wanted to rescue his people from oppressive tyrants, it was the Holy Spirit who would fall upon people like Samson or Othniel and give them the power and the ability to rescue the people of God. It was the Holy Spirit who was present with them to do the work of God. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? It is a ministry of presence, and Jesus is saying, don't be troubled that I'm going away. Don't be anxious that I'm going away, because it's actually better for you, because when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to be present in your midst and in your hearts in a much fuller and richer abundance than the world has ever seen seen. Okay, well, what does that mean for us today? 
Well, it depends on who you are. If you're God's enemy, it means one thing. And if you're God's family, it means something else. Uh, if I could just put it this way, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit is sort of like the Texas sunshine. All right, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's an, anal- it's an illustration, okay? It, it's sort of like the sunshine. It gives life, causes the grass and the trees to grow so that we might live. It deals pain. Sunburn and drought and heat exhaustion and wildfires. So on the one hand, it enlightens and it shows us the beauty of the earth. It also exposes what is ugly and unseemly. One sun, but its shining presence has a variety of effects. And the same, it's very similar to the ministry of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here, and for some people, that is a terrifying, fearful reality. For other people, it's a comfort, right? The Holy Spirit's presence is different depending on who you are. And he, he operates in, in, in a different way depending on your, if you're talking about the world or whether you're talking about believers. And so what I want to do is just mention one way that he interacts with the world and then five ways that he interacts with us as believers. How does the Holy Spirit interact with the world? And I know I'm moving quickly through these things, but they're all very important. What is his ministry to the world? Our text tells us his presence convicts the world. His presence convicts the world. Look at verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world. That word translated convict means to expose, to bring to light, to prove to be in the wrong. Jesus is saying that after he ascends to the right hand of the Father and he sends the Holy Spirit into the world in greater measure, he is going to show the world to be in the wrong. Now keep in mind, when we read this word world, what do we think? We think of the whole world. We think of a big place, right? Because in the English language, the word world connotes bigness. But in John's gospel, that's not the emphasis of that word. The word that John is using for world, the emphasis is on not a big place, but a bad place. The word world, it means an organized system, the cosmos. It's organized. It works together. It functions together. And in particular, in John's gospel especially, in the words of Jesus, the word world refers to the organized system of rebellion where human beings collaborate with demonic powers to rebel against the the Lord who made them. And so what, what Jesus is saying is this. The Holy Spirit is going to minister to this organized system in which most human beings participate. He is going to minister to them in this way. He is going to expose the world's wrongness. He's going to expose the way that the emptiness, the immorality, the injustice of the systems and structures built up around the globe are an offense to God. They are wrong concerning sin because they don't believe in Christ. That is, they don't think sin is a problem. They're fine with sin. Uh, They don't think God cares. They don't think God is going to do anything about it. But then the Spirit comes and he begins to show them, no, you're wrong. This is what's true about sin. Uh, The Spirit's going to show them to be in the wrong concerning righteousness. They justify themselves when they kill the Son of God, but they're wrong. The Spirit is going to expose how wrong they are because Jesus is vindicated by the fact that he's raised from the dead and he goes to the Father. The Spirit is going to come in His fullness and He's going to convict the world concerning judgment. The world, uh, 
they continue to live in rebellion without any fear of judgment. But look, the ruler of the world himself is judged. And so what does the Holy Spirit do? He comes to the world and he says, hey, listen, you've been wrong. You've been wrong concerning sin. You've been wrong concerning righteousness. You've been wrong concerning judgment. And I just want you to know that. I want to expose that that's going on. Now, I just want to point something out. The Bible is very clear that if you don't have Jesus, then you are a part of this world, uh, this organized system of rebellion. Jesus is God. He is the only way to have a relationship with God. If you reject him, you are rejecting the all-powerful, all-good, holy God. There's no other name under heaven given that, that can rescue us from evil and judgment. And the Spirit's ministry today is to expose that, to show that, to be present in the world and testify that that system in which you perhaps are participating is in the wrong. And that doesn't necessarily feel good, does it? It's not fun. But that doesn't mean that it's not a function of God's mercy and love. He's showing you that because, as we're told in John chapter 3, God loves the world in spite of its badness, in spite of its organization against him. The Spirit's ministry to the world could have been to simply destroy the world without another thought. God would have been well within his rights to just say, I'm done, and just cleared off the table and said, I'm going to start over with somebody else. But he didn't do that because God loves the world. And so he sends his Spirit into the world to say, hey, listen, guys, you're in the wrong. That's a ministry of God's mercy. And I wonder if God's ministering to you in that way today. If the Holy Spirit is serving you by convicting you, by showing you to be in the wrong, I just want to challenge you. Don't ignore him. Don't ignore that ministry to you today. He is doing that because of his love for you. He is showing you that you're wrong so that he can make you right. Don't push back against the convicting work of the Holy Spirit who is present in the world and in this room for this very thing. The presence of the Holy Spirit convicts the world, but on the other hand, the presence of the Holy Spirit comforts believers. The presence of the Holy Spirit comforts believers. And I think most of you have experienced this. There are a lot of ways he does this, but I'll mention just five. Uh, First of all, the Holy Spirit is present, and and we're going to borrow from a lot of different texts in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is present in the first place to confirm our identity as the sons and daughters of God. He's present to confirm our identity as the sons and daughters of God. A few moments before Jesus says what he says in John 16, the passage that Renee read moments ago. He tells them in John 14 about the sending of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Like he's saying to them, hey, I'm not going to leave you with this sense that you're alone in the world. I want you to know that you have a familial, close relationship with me and with my Father. And that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit to us today. Like he confirms that we are part of the family of God in Christ. Paul describes this wonderful work of the Spirit in Romans chapter 8. He says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, that that would have been the very first words, the very first word on the lips of an Aramaic-speaking infant. Abba, very easy for that child to say. And what Jesus is saying is, or uh, what Paul is saying is that the Spirit of God comes to us 
And he's present with us to confirm that we belong to God in Christ so that we can know that we are his child, just like that infant knows who his father is. You know, I, we need this, don't we? We need to be reminded that we actually belong to Jesus. I, I think about our, my relationship with my own family, my relationship with my children, my relationship with my wife. I, I love my wife, and she loves me. I know that she loves me. We've been married for 16 years. But just like anybody that's been married for, for 16 plus years, we have moments where we're, uh, where we're in sync and where we feel like that love is kind of, we're full steam ahead and everything's all good. And we have moments where it feels like it's not full steam ahead and we're not all good. And uh, we need those, we need, to, we need to have a time where we reset and we say, you know what, Let, let's renew our commitment to each other. I'll leave it up to you to, to you to determine who is often most guilty of getting us off the track. Uh, but, but our relationship needs that reminder of, you know what, we are together. We love each other. We're committed to each other. And the same is true of our relationship with God and Jesus, right? We need to be reminded. Our salvation is not in question. We're not less saved when we feel distant from God, but we long to get past these seasons of hurt and miscommunication. We long, and God longs for us to know that we belong with him, to feel that we belong with him. That's his desire. He doesn't want us to second-guess his love for him. He wants us to know deep down that we are his beloved children. There is a way of thinking among preachers because, uh, I think for a lot of reasons, one of them maybe is that we like to control people, uh, that we want them to feel doubt about their relationship with God. And that is not the way the Bible presents it. He, he wants us to know, guys. He wants us to be confident that we belong to him. And the Spirit of God helps us to know this. He bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He ignites our love for God, and he reminds us of God's love for us. And that means that he wants us to welcome this ministry of the Holy Spirit, to miss it when it's gone, to long for greater closeness to our Heavenly Father Father, through the ministry of the Spirit. And I realize that there may be a handful of you in this very room today that you don't remember a time when you felt that. Like you have not, you can't remember a time when you were confident that the Holy Spirit was working in your heart to remind you that you were a child of God. And, and folks, that is concerning. That should be concerning to you because God does not want you to exist in the state of doubt. He wants you to know. And if that's your situation, I would urge you to allow one of our elders or somebody else sitting near you in the church at some point in the next day to take the scriptures and be able to walk you through the promises of God and how you can know for sure that you're a child of God and know his love for you. That's the first ministry Uh, of the Holy Spirit's presence to believers. He's a comfort because he reminds us that we are the children of God. The presence of the Holy Spirit is a comfort to believers, secondly, because he is present to bind us to the people of God. He is present to bind us to the people of God. I'm thinking of Paul's incredible claims in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You remember what he says in that passage? He says, in one spirit, We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 
That is, one of the ministries of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is to bind us to the people of God, to remind us that we all partake of one Spirit. We are all part of the same people. In the context of Paul's larger argument, he's making this point. God in his wisdom has formed the church in such a way that each individual member, though different from the next person, contributes to the body as a whole. That is, he's given each one of us spiritual gifts so that we'll build up the body, but it's all about this foundational truth, that the Spirit has put us together as one. We've all been made to drink of one Spirit, and this is the ministry of the Spirit, to bind us to the people of God. I remember feeling this most strongly while working in a large corporation. Sometimes we get spoiled and picky when it comes to other people who are following Christ. But when you're in an environment where almost nobody wants to follow Jesus, and then you meet someone who does, you're grateful, aren't you? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've met somebody at work and you think, man, that's thank you God for somebody that I can have fellowship with. And maybe it's somebody that you wouldn't go to their church. Maybe it's somebody that you disagree with about a minor issue, but you're just grateful for the unity and the fellowship that you have in the Holy Spirit. That is the Spirit of God. He binds us together as believers. And so I have a question. If one of the main ministries of the Holy Spirit is to bind us together to the people of God, then why do we fight about the Holy Spirit so often? Why is it that the Holy Spirit is a topic of argument? Christians who would say, I'm charismatic, they look at Christians who would say, I'm not charismatic, and they think, well, why don't you have the Holy Spirit in your life? And then people over here, they look at folks who would identify as charismatic, and they would say, what's going on? Maybe there's some demon possession. Why are we doing this? Folks, why? Seriously, why do we fight about the person who is ministering to us to bind us together. Is, doesn't, the whole, doesn't he give us exactly what we need to know? 1 Thessalonians five nineteen through 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Like we don't need to fight about this as much as we do. What we need to do is come together, be thankful to, each, uh, for, to God for each other, and allow the Holy Spirit to bind us together. And if we find ourselves moving toward one another to build each other up, it's because of the presence of the Spirit of God. But if we find ourselves biting and picking and devouring one another, is that coming from God's Spirit? It's coming from somewhere else, isn't it? Because the Holy Spirit is intent on ministering to his church to bind us to the people of God. So let's walk in love toward one another. Third way that the presence of the Holy Spirit is a comfort to believers, he guides us to imitate Christ. He guides us to imitate Christ. When Paul speaks about the way that God changes us progressively, gradually into the image of Christ in, in first, or I'm sorry, in Second Corinthians chapter three, he, he talks about how we're changed from one degree of glory to the next. Do you remember this passage? And what does he say? He says, This is from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit's presence is so integral to Christian living that Paul calls Christ's likeness the fruit of the Spirit. That's a powerful image, isn't it? To say that we're so in fellowship with the Holy Spirit that we're sort of like a tree or a vine that bears a certain kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How do we know, friends, that the Holy Spirit is at work in our midst? Is it because of the presence of miracles? Sometimes God does miracles and sometimes he doesn't do miracles. 
that's up to him. Sometimes he chooses to work a little more quietly. Is it because of the presence of miracles? Is it because you have a fuzzy feeling inside? Sometimes you have a fuzzy feeling. Sometimes you don't. And sometimes it's because of the bologna sandwich you ate last night. I mean, we, we don't know. Sometimes feelings can be deceiving, right? How do we know that the Spirit is present ministering in our midst? The evidence that cannot be faked is this, that cannot be counterfeited, is if you meet someone who is consistently over time exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in their life, I mean all of them together, someone who genuinely loves, someone who's really joyful, someone who is at peace, someone who's gentle and kind, someone who exhibits all of the fruit of the Spirit all at once over time, then you're looking at someone who is living in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Because over time, folks, as you know, those qualities, they can be faked for a short time, They can be faked in isolation and counterfeited, but when you put them all together over the course of a period of time, they cannot be counterfeited at all. And so when you see somebody walking with the Lord in that way, you're looking at somebody who's walking in fellowship with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is impossible to fake. It's easy to spot somebody who's walking with the Spirit. So look for the fruit of the Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit is a comfort to believers because he confirms our identity as sons and daughters of the Most High, because he binds us together with the people of God, because he guides us to imitate Christ. Fourthly, because he equips us to serve Christ. He equips us to serve Christ. Uh, In antiquity, it was before Christ, it was the Spirit who empowered the judges and the kings to uh, go out and rescue the people of God rescue Israel from their enemies. He gave them the ability to do battle and lead with greatness. Nowadays, he does that on an even grander scale. He pours out spiritual gifts upon the church as a whole in a wealth of variety. We see this dynamic at play in passages like Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. There's one body, but it's composed of many members and, and each one of these members of the body, God has given spiritual gifts to to build up the body and to minister Uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ in the world. And that means that if you are in Christ, then the Holy Spirit is the one who gives you the power, the ability to serve Jesus with your life and to make a difference in his kingdom. Because of the Spirit's presence, because of the Spirit's presence, that means, folks, that no matter whether you feel like you're here for a reason or not, you are here for a reason. Like, God has a job for you to do. He has a role for you to play. And, and you may not know exactly what that is, but the Spirit is working to equip His people to serve Christ. Amen. We're all here to do what He's called us to do. Some of those spiritual gifts are gifts of speaking. Some are gifts of serving. Some gifts seem ordinary. Others seem very out of the ordinary. Some are related to natural personality traits. Others have to do, have nothing to do with natural personality traits. Uh, you know, the Spirit, he, he has freedom to work in all these things. But the point is that the Holy Spirit is the one who sets it all up. And folks, he's very, very good at it. He knows what he's doing. Uh, so often we, we fret over these gifts, right? We compare ourselves to somebody else. Why don't I have spirit, the same spiritual gifts as that person over there. But God doesn't want us to compare with somebody else. He gives different gifts to different people. 
We fret about whether or not we'll have enough people to do this or that ministry, but maybe we need to ask whether those things need to be done at all because the Holy Spirit equips His church to fulfill the work that He wants us to do. We fret over whether our spiritual gift is going to make us feel fulfilled. Like, is that, if I go and do that, is that going to be enjoyable and fulfilling to me? But don't worry about that. You just build up the body. And you'll be surprised at how God takes care of you when you stop worrying about yourself. We fret over what other people are going to think about our spiritual gifts. Will they think I'm weird because this is the gift that I'm functioning in? Don't worry about what other people think. Concern yourself with what the Holy Spirit thinks. He's got a plan. He knows how to build up his church. It's our job simply to walk in obedience to him. You say, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. And by the way, just a commercial, Andrew from time to time teaches a class on spiritual gifts. I would encourage you to take it if you haven't done that already. But some of you are saying, you know, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. The Holy Spirit hasn't made it clear to me. I would encourage you to do two things. There's probably more that can be said, but I I would just encourage you to do two things. First of all, live in community. Live in community. And what you'll find is that your brothers and sisters in Christ are going to help you because they're going to point out ways that you've been a blessing to them. Like when you've done this, that was a blessing to me. And and that may be an indication to you of, of perhaps a spiritual gift functioning in your life. When God's people say, This is how you've been a blessing to me. So live in community. Second, look around for needs. Look around for needs. If the Lord shows you need, it may be that he's equipping you to fill it. There are a lot of other things that you could say, uh, but if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, live in community, look around for needs. Uh, That's a whole topic to itself, and I'm sorry I don't have the time to do more than just skim over spiritual gifts, but the point is this. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to equip believers to serve Christ. How does the Holy Spirit comfort believers? He confirms our identity as sons and daughters of God. He binds us to the people of God. He empowers us to imitate Christ. He equips us to serve Christ. And then in the fifth place, the Holy Spirit reveals the glories of the triune God. The Holy Spirit reveals the glories of of the triune God. Uh, Returning to John 16, Jesus says this, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that one of the main ways that the Holy Spirit is present to minister in the world is to guide us into all truth and reveal the wonderful ways of the triune God. Uh, This is why, by the way, this is why we have the New Testament, because what the Holy Spirit has done, Jesus leaves, he ascends to the right hand of the Father, right? And uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles, and the Spirit actually empowers the apostles to write the words of God himself. And and what we have is, the, the result of that is, the New Testament. So we have the very word of God. God is incomprehensible, but he is not unknowable. He has reached down into our world and he has shown us himself. The evidence of his goodness and his glory is all around us. The very words of God are in front of us. The record of his saving work is written down. The spirit has spoken in the words of scripture and he works to open our eyes to behold the wondrous truths of the word. 
God the Holy Spirit is present. He's here. His presence convicts the world and comforts the believer. And this morning, uh, it seems to me that in response to this, that, that we all fall into one of these two categories, right? I wonder if the Holy Spirit this morning is convicting you or here to comfort you. Is the Holy Spirit convicting you today, showing you that you've been in the wrong That's not because he wants you to suffer without hope. That's a function of his mercy. The invitation is very simple. Repent. Believe the gospel. Turn away from your sin. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you know what? I've been wrong. I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I need Jesus in my life. And I believe that he died for me and rose again. Please forgive me and rescue me from the punishment that my sin deserves. Or maybe today you need to be comforted. You need to remember that your God is with you. That he's with you to remind you that you're a child of God. That he's with you to bind you to the people of God. That he's with you to empower you to live for Christ. That he's with you uh, to equip you to serve Christ with the spiritual gift. That he's with you to show you the glories of the triune God so that you can have a fellowship relationship with God himself. The Holy Spirit is here to comfort believers and so here's what, I would, here's what I would ask us to do. In a moment here, I'm going to pray, and we're going to take just a few minutes to respond personally to the way that the Spirit is working in, in our hearts. And if, if God is convicting you about something, the Holy Spirit is convicting you about something, I would just urge you to repent and ask for God's forgiveness for that thing. And I would urge you as well to invite somebody else into that and say, you know what, I need to humble myself and be broken before the Lord, and I need someone to pray for me. I need help in this area. And uh, in a moment, when we bow our heads and close our eyes, we're going to have the chance to do that. The elders, their wives will be up here in the front. Or maybe today you need to be comforted. And uh, I think it's appropriate sometimes when we read the Word of God, when we encounter the Spirit of God, to just enjoy God, right? And so in the midst of a really difficult season, perhaps a lot of responsibilities, I want to urge you just to take a couple of minutes to say, God, I'm just going to enjoy the fact that you're with me today, and I'm just going to thank you for being my God. And so today, let's bow in prayer, and then we're going to move into that time of response. Uh, So let's do that together. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for sending your spirit. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for convicting us, as painful as that's been. Thank you for comforting us. And in this moment, while we're distracted by so many things, so many needs, so many responsibilities, I pray that you would just remind us to enjoy living in fellowship with you.